We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Welcome in, Bears fans, to another edition of the Bear Report Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson. I'm joined again this week, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Lemming. Aaron, another week here. Uh, I miss this um, pandemic going around. How are you keeping busy, man? Well, I mean, I'm still still working and just, you know, kind of doing what I can at this point. And, you know, it just kind of is what it is. It's like, like we were talking about before the podcast started. It's like, I'm just... I think we're all ready for sports come back, you know. I, I think that's really where it's at right now, you know, get some sports going, get something to at least entertain ourselves and and start trying to get back to somewhat of a new normal. And I don't know, it's it's definitely uh, we're kind of in the dog days when you talk about the NFL offseason. I mean, there's especially with no offseason programs, at least nothing that we can see or that you can report on. Uh, I mean, there's just not really a lot going on right now. But, you know, another another week, same thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And, you know, it feels like every day we kind of hear like a new report about the NHL, the NBA and MLB. And while it's I guess it's encouraging, it's like for me hearing that stuff and it's like, well, we have this plan. We have this plan. I'm ready just for news to say, all right, we're moving forward. We're proceeding. We have a date. We're going to get ready. We're going to prepare. We're going to play. And I guess the closest to that is MLB. Um, who actually has a plan in motion. But I was thinking the other day, because I guess NASCAR comes back this weekend. I'm not a NASCAR fan, but I joked on Twitter. I'm like, I might have to watch NASCAR just to get um, some live sports in me. However, I mean, I watched the UFC on Saturday. I'm not a big UFC guy, um, but that was pretty damn, damn entertaining. And then there's another, I guess there's another card tonight as we're recording this on Wednesday. So that kind of fulfilled my little um, sports fix for the time being. And then I guess, you know, overseas soccer returns, so I got that fix in me as well. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I am ready for the professional sports to come back, the baseball, the basketball, the NHL. Just give me something, return this summer, and, uh, yeah, I'd feel a lot better about this whole situation. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Yeah, the the UFC card this last Saturday. I'm, see, I'm a big UFC fan. I've been a big MMA fan for a while, so it was definitely nice to – it was nice to have – MMA back. Uh, it was actually a really good card. I know a lot of people probably didn't buy the pay-per-view, um, but the pay-per-view was actually damn good. Uh, Francis Ngannou had a nice knockout. Uh, the Cejudo Cruz fight was really good, and then the the Gaethje and um, Tony Ferguson fight was awesome as well. The only thing that was kind of weird to me was just the no crowd, and it, I found myself it was like, man, you know, so through some of those fights, it's like there would have been, you know, if there was a crowd there, it would have been going crazy. But it's 
it's definitely interesting. I mean, yeah, they got another card on the night, and then they got another card this weekend at some point. I mean, those aren't nearly as good, honestly, like for non-UFC or non-MMA fans. Like that, that card, the full card, including the undercard and the main card that happened this last Saturday, was actually one of the more stacked and better cards that I've seen the UFC put out in a long time, and mainly for the fact that because they've become more mainstream over the years and because they've got some of the TV deals and because they've added all the weight classes, because at one point, I mean, they basically had five weight classes. Uh, they didn't have any of the lower weight classes and they had none of the women's divisions. So for a while, they were able to put, you know, one, maybe two uh, cards out every month. And one of them usually be like a, you know, a UFC on Fox, or UFC on FX or Spike, Fight Night, whatever it was. And now they're producing so many more cards per month and per year than they were that it kind of gets watered down a little bit. And especially because, I mean, not every single one of them is going to be a UFC 246 or, you know, one of the main cards uh, where you have to pay for pay-per-view. But because of how many different divisions and the different things that they have, it's the, the quality of the cards have definitely not been the same. They usually kind of bulk up on like, you know, UFC 200 was big, uh, you know, and some of the some of the end of the year cards will kind of bulk up on and they'll make those good. But for the most part, there's usually only a few, like I would say two or three good fights on the entire card, at least in terms of name value. So it was definitely cool to see. Um, again, it's definitely weird to hear no sort of fan interaction. That's kind of what we're talking about before. It's like baseball. I mean, baseball, basketball and hockey. I mean, they're all talking about, you know, baseball is talking about starting their season probably in the beginning of July and then hockey and, and basketball are basically going to step into the playoffs. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes without fans. I mean, really the only thing I have to go on in terms of reference uh, with no fans with baseball is when the White Sox played the Orioles a few years ago when they had uh, the riots and all that stuff. And I think they played one or two games without fans, but I mean, I didn't watch the game live because it was during the day, but I remember watching highlights and it was definitely weird. So it's going to be a different experience for sure, even when sports do come back. But at this point, I think a lot of us will take it, and I think a lot of us will be watching, uh, you know, with without question. Yeah, I'll probably tune into the UFC tonight. I have some. I'm a big reality TV show nerd. I love Survivor. I love the challenge. Those are both on Wednesday nights. Challenge or uh, Survivor's the finale actually tonight. And it's supposed to be three hours, so I get my fix in with that. But I'm just ready for some live sports. Um, yeah, on this show, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Bears gonna, and how training camp and the OTA situation right now could impact some position battles. We're going to talk a little bit about the schedule um, that was released last week. I'm going to get Aaron's thoughts on that. And then we'll talk about um, a couple moves the Bears have made um, to kind of round out their roster here for the offseason. Before we do all that, though, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back after this. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Welcome back in here to the Bear Report podcast. Uh, Aaron, let's get right into it. Um, I did a podcast episode last week about the schedule. I gave my thoughts on it. Um, obviously, the NFL has released the full schedule now. They did it last Thursday. I kind of want to get your thoughts on the schedule because I think um, you're going to agree with me here. I think the it's going to truly be a tale of two halves. I know that's kind of cliche, but you look at the first eight games, there's a lot of winnable games. It's still early. A lot can happen. We don't know. You know there's always those surprise teams. There's always that team that goes from worst to first in the NFL. Um, but looking at the Bears' first four games, none of those teams scare me. Indianapolis, um, who they else they got? I think they got uh, Atlanta. They have um, Detroit. Yeah, Giants and Detroit. So Giants and Detroit, yeah. games, yeah. And none of those teams really scare me. And then the second, you know, the second eighth or the second four there, obviously a tough game against Tampa Bay. Then you go to Carolina. Um, really, I think uh, that first eight is really going to tell us where the Bears are going to be at. And like I said, I know it's cliche, but if they could come out of there maybe six and two, um, seven and one, I'd feel really great about myself and getting off to a really great about the team. But getting off to a good start in those first four is going to be key for me. Yeah, this is honestly the design of the schedule actually reminds me a little bit of 2018, where 
you know, you, you got to get off of that good start. And then it's, it's like we saw, you know, it, it's one of those situations where usually if you get off to a good start, you become a better team, you, be, you know, you get more confident. And then, you know, if you look at it just an eight and eight, I mean, if you, if you look at those first eight and they go, let's just say six and two, and then you go into that second half where, you know, it's one of those things where all of a sudden you're playing with a little bit of house money at that point. And I thought just the overall design of the schedule was a little interesting. I mean, I, you know, and, and, Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that I love the fact that they're opening up the lines. I, I think that, I mean, that's that's one of those where I, I just, I love it. Um, I don't like the Lions. Um, and frankly, I, I think, and I'm not going to say it's an easy game because no division game is easy. But I do think that this is probably one of their more favorable games that they're opening up with uh, as of late. I mean, versus the Packers and, and back-to-back uh, week one games the last two years and then i thought it was interesting that they were actually closing out with the packers because if you really look at it i mean their first throughout their first nine games of the season they only have one divisional game and then all of a sudden within those last you know those last seven games uh you know five of their last seven games are all division games and that i mean that's that's going to be that's where it's all going to be won or lost and that's kind of the thing so you know getting off to a good start is one thing but as we've seen uh, in the past, and, and one other thing to note is that there's going to be an extra playoff team this year. So all of a sudden, there's three different wildcard teams. So you got seven playoff teams uh, in each uh, in each conference. So it's like, you know, as we've seen in the past, uh, with just with playoffs in general, you know, conference records and division records mean a lot. I mean, division records mean a lot when you're talking about, you know, tiebreakers and stuff like that for the division. And then obviously conference games are huge when you're talking about wild card spots and beating out, you know, different things like that. I mean, they would have been right in the mix last year if there would have been a seventh, uh, you know, a seventh uh, playoff team. So I, I think, you know, I just, I look at it and it's like, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not buying in. Uh, may, maybe I'll regret saying this, you know, later on, but I'm not really buying into Tampa Bay's hype yet. I think that a lot of people forget that Tom Brady really hasn't been the same quarterback the last few years. But, I mean, you just look at some of those games. You got the Lions, the Giants, the Falcons. Uh, the Colts could be a tough game, but, the, you know, the, the, the Panthers are kind of in, like, a weird rebuild mode and not really rebuilding, but rebuilding at the same time. The Rams, I don't think, are going to be that good. The Saints, obviously, will be tough. But uh, there's definitely some winnable games there. And like you pointed out, and this is kind of one of those things that, you know, and I'm sure you probably talked about it last week on the podcast where, the whole strength of schedule and all that crap going from, you know, the, the previous year, it means nothing. Last year, the Bears were projected to have one of the toughest schedules in the league, and that didn't end up being the case. They simply didn't hold their end up, you know, their, their end of the bargain up. And so I, it's it's really cool to sit here and dissect everything, but the reality is the Bears have just simply got to be a better team. Obviously, at least judging by last year's records versus this year. They'll have a third-place schedule instead of a first-place schedule. But again, we've seen how that means absolutely nothing in the long run of things and how some teams can be much better and some teams can be much worse. So, I mean, really what it comes down to is those conference games and, you know, obviously, again, the divisional games. I mean, you, they got to find a way to basically, you know, go, I'd say, four and two, uh, five and one within the division and then, you know, win probably eight, nine games within the conference. And that's really what you're looking at right there. And then, obviously, you know, if you just split the – Let's just say you win eight games in the conference and you split, you know, split the two, two out of the four AFC games. Then all of a sudden you're looking at a ten-win team and you got a pretty strong conference record. So again, we'll just have to see how it all plays out. But I think a little bit is made, a little bit too much is made of just the overall schedule release. It's like we already know the Bears' opponents; we've known them for a while. It's just how it's all designed. Um, how it's all designed there and whatever it is, what it is, uh, you know, it's definitely going to be interesting, but again, the bears have got to be a much better team than they were last year to be able to sniff the playoffs. And more importantly, once they get if they were to get in the playoffs, you know, they, they gotta be able to do something, you know, this whole going in the playoffs and lose first round thing, uh, it just doesn't really work, especially the bears are in the middle of a window. Obviously they got some questions, especially at the quarterback position that they need to get figured out. But the Bears have made a lot of moves where it kind of signals that they're focused on the now and not really so much of the future. And, you know, they got to capitalize on that. I mean, they got to find a way. It's like once you get in the playoffs, you know, different things can happen. Getting in the playoffs is one thing. But, I mean, you can't just get in there and then lose right off the bat. I mean, that doesn't really do much. That doesn't really do much for anybody. I mean, the last time the Bears won a game was in a playoff game was in 2010. I mean, that's got to change. I mean, they just they simply have to do more. 
Um, I think that they're absolutely a playoff contender. I'm not going to call them a Super Bowl contender by any means, but I do think they're absolutely a playoff contender, especially when you factor in the fact that there's, again, there's another, there's a seventh playoff team this year. There's another wild card team. There's another way for teams to get in. And it's also interesting because now that there is seven teams, there's not going to be two bye weeks. There's only going to be one. So you basically either have the number one seed or you're playing on wild card weekend. So that'll be another interesting factor to kind of add into all this as well. Yeah, and sorry, my mic uh, kind of didn't work there. But yeah, those seven final seven games of five out of the uh, seven going against the NFC North. And look at those eight. Um, only, what is it? Let's see, three of them are the final eight games are against the AFC South as they got the Titans and they got the Texans and then they got the Jaguars um, to kind of close out the year. So, yeah, I mean, the Bears have to do their damage early on in the season, pick up those conference games. Because, like you said, those tiebreakers are pretty big. Um, and then and then win your divisional games. So the, the easiest way to win your division is to take care of your, is take care of your divisional opponents. Um, unless you know, it's usually the case unless you're the Raiders team from like I think it was like 2008 or 2009 that went six and zero against their division and end up winning like six or seven games total. So yeah, I mean more times than not, winning going five and one against your division six and zero four and two is usually a good sign for your playoff chances. I agree. I mean, I just look at the schedule, and, and I talked about it a lot. I, it's just a tale of two halves. It's going to be how they start the first eight, how they finish the back eight, um, especially against the NFC North and that gate week 17 against the Packers. Um, first time they've hosted the Packers in week 17 since that crazy 2013 game that we won't talk about because it was just a terrible ending with Chris Conte blowing the coverage. So, yeah, I, I'm excited for the schedule. It was, a, it was a big off-season event. I know we knew who they were, who they were going to play and everything. It just was just some good football news. Um, and then today the NFL actually extended the off-season uh, virtual program. Instead of ending May 15th, it's going to end at the end of May, and I'm expecting it to probably be extended again into June. So I don't think we'll be at the facilities anytime soon at House Hall. Um, I think it's going to be a thing where the league – kind of makes one big date to return and we won't see it um, as franchise by franchise. But Aaron, I want to talk about some moves that the Bears did make over the past couple of weeks. Um, they brought in a safety to Sean Gibson, who was um, released by the Houston Texans, signed pretty quickly by the Bears just a few days later. They also signed wide receiver Ted Gidd Jr. And then before that move, they signed uh, veteran nose tackle, John Jenkins, who's kind of versatile on the line, he can pretty much play any spot for depth. Um, he was with the Bears a couple of years ago, so a familiar face. Of those signings, though, I look at it, and, and you and I have both talked about this on Twitter and on the podcast. We both wanted more speed on this offense. The Bears did do a good job of dressing it through the draft with uh, Darnell Mooney out of Tulane with one of their draft picks. And then they bring in Trevor Davis, who's more of a special teams threat. Tenkid Jr. was a special teams threat early in his career. Now he's kind of playing more of the role as a veteran wide receiver, a guy who can, you know, maybe still take the top off of a defense and provide that speed threat. I like the signing of Ted Ginn Jr. I'm very, very intrigued, though, by the signing of Tayshawn Gibson. Yeah, well, I think when you when you look at the moves, I mean, you know, let's get Jenkins out of the way real quick. I think there's nothing wrong with adding more depth. I mean, if you keep six defensive linemen, he's definitely on the team. If you keep five, you know, barring no injuries, and maybe he's not. But you can never go wrong, especially, I mean, he would be the true backup for Eddie Goldman. And, you know, there's definitely some value there. But, yeah, when you look at the two bigger signings, uh, you know, one of the things going in the draft that we kind of both talked about and that I honestly thought that they would, you know, make a move within the draft was going safety, and they didn't. And it was one of those things where I don't mind Deion Bush is depth or, if you know, if you want to basically have a competition, okay, that's fine. But I really wasn't overly comfortable with what they had at safety behind Eddie Jackson. And then obviously they go on, they sign Gibson. And, you know, I think the one thing about all of these deals, especially the Ginn, the Ginn signing and obviously the, the Gibson signing, is the value that the Bears got. I mean, these guys were basically both on vet minimum deals, uh, minimal cap hits. And so, I mean, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely a value, and that's definitely nice, especially when you look at the comp pick formula and everything else. It looks like the Bears are going to have two six-round picks at this point uh, because of how everything canceled out for the topic formula and none of that is messed with by these signings but I think when you look at Gibson uh Gibson's one of those guys where he's definitely more of a free safety than he is a strong safety when you're talking about traditional roles which at this point isn't really a bad thing what I will say 
is that uh, he's somebody, obviously he's a little older than Clinton Dix, and I know that you know people probably prefer Clinton Dix over Gibson. I was actually a bigger fan of Gibson last year when he was cut from the Jaguars, and I was kind of hoping that that was who the Bears were going to go after. Obviously, they didn't, and he signed with the Texans. Well, they did, and then he signed with the Texans, and then they signed uh, ha, Clinton Dix. But I do think that Gibson, when you look at what his strengths are, I mean, he's good in coverage. I don't think he's quite the center fielder in the ball hawk that a guy like HaHa Clinton Dix is, but I do think that he plays better closer to line of scrimmage. I think he has a little bit more versatility, and he's a much better tackler. So I think when you look at the fit there, I know a lot of people are knocking him, saying, oh, he's a journeyman because he's been cut twice and you know, in two contracts, his last two contracts. But if you really look at it, it's like they were big money contracts. And, I mean, he lasted a decent amount in Jacksonville. And then the whole thing with Houston, at least from everything I've read, has been more about him clashing with Bill O'Brien and, and everything else than anything. So... I think you look at Gibson, he's probably not a long-term answer. I do think if he ends up playing well, he's somebody that you can sign for another two or three years You know, on a cheap deal. He's already made a pretty decent amount of money. I mean, he's an undrafted guy. So it's one of those situations where I think that he does fit, and I think that if you can keep him cost-controlled through the year, assuming he has a good year, then that's somebody that you know you can probably have around for a few more years. And then obviously the Ted Ginn Jr. signing – I like that move a lot, too, because I think when you really look at it, there was a lot of pressure on Darnell Mooney before this pick because you look at it and you say, OK, you know, he was the only real speed threat that they had in terms of receivers. I mean, you can kind of count Tariq Cohen as that, but he's more of a gadget player and he's going to be more of one of those guys that his entire way of playing and his entire effectiveness is going to be mainly based on the tight end play. Obviously, the Bears went out and they tried improving the tight end spot. We'll have to see how that goes. But I think when you bring in a guy like Ted Ginn Jr., I think it makes a ton of sense because not only is he a veteran, uh, he's still got damn good wheels, and he's somebody that has always been a deep threat. He's got, at times, he's definitely got some questionable hands with with the drops, but I think that much like Taylor Gabriel, and even probably more so than Taylor Gabriel, he's going to be that guy that really stretches the field, and now you're not pressuring a fifth-round pick in Darnell Mooney to come in right away and be able to contribute and possibly start at the slot or be you know, a primary contributor, because we've kind of seen the way, for the most part, Bears have dealt with rookie receivers under Ryan Pace, and it really hasn't been... Over, you know, outside of maybe Anthony Miller, who got hurt, and you know, I think he ended up paying like 56% of the snaps. Outside of that, I mean, you can look at Javon Wims, you can look at Riley Ridley. Uh, they've never really relied, especially mid round receivers, they never really relied uh, heavily on those guys. So I think you give Darnell Mooney a chance to somewhat develop, a chance, especially with him, he needs to bulk up. I mean, he's a, not only is he short, but he's a small frame guy. I like him, and I think that he could easily fill the role in a year or so from now. And he may have been able to fill it this year as well, but. I think getting in somebody like Ian Jr. makes a ton of sense because now you have another veteran receiver in the room. You've got another pretty reliable target. You've got another speed threat. And now they can do different things with Ginn and they can do different things with Mooney, you know, combine them together, put Tariq Cohen on the field. They have some different options. And I think the big thing here is it's not a huge move. It's not like Ginn's going to go out and catch, you know, a thousand yards or anything like that. But I do think that he's a reliable veteran that for a much cheaper price can kind of fill that Taylor Gabriel role and probably be more of a threat downfield. Because Gabriel had some speed, but he was never really that down the, down the field threat at least with the Bears that a lot of people, including myself, were hoping for. But I think that Ginn definitely fits that. He's played that role. Uh, I, I just think it makes a lot of sense. And I think the key here is, again, they added these guys where they're going to be, you know, 2020 contributors. And I think some people are kind of struggling because, you know, these one-year deals, the Bears, you know, have, have kind of gone the long-term approach, at least coming into this offseason. But now the Bears are in a spot where they can add some of these veterans. They can add some of these one-year guys where, you know, maybe they're not long-term answers, but they can come in and they can contribute and they can help. But the big thing is, is that they're cheap. And I think that's that's really big. They don't mess with the comp pick formula. And I think that these are the kind of value buys, especially with the kind of, in my opinion, the lackluster offseason that Ryan Pace had for the most part. I think that this definitely helps the offseason. Again, they're not going to be huge contributors. Well, I think, you know, Gibson could be. But when you look at, again, especially – He's not going to be a giant contributor by any means, but he's definitely going to play a role in the fact that he's going to play a role. And I think that you'll see him starting inside, you know, in the slot and stuff like that um, when there's three receivers on the field. I mean, Anthony Miller's obviously going to be the number two. But when you have three receivers on the field, I think you're going to see a lot again. I mean, that's that's big value, especially when you're talking about paying just a little over a little over million dollars in actual cash. And I think his cap hit was 
I think it was right around as a little under uh, 90,000 for the year. I mean, those are the kind of values that you want. So I think Ryan Pace did a really good job. I think there's definitely still some areas inside linebackers, one running backs, another one, uh, Larry Warford just got released. Um, if they wanted to go that route, I mean, there's, there's a few different ways that they can still improve the roster and spend minimal money doing so. Maybe not Warford. And I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit, but these are the kind of moves that can really help the bears in terms of depth, uh, in terms of just having more quality, uh, contributors, on the roster that are actually going to make an impact. And I mean, this, this is the kind of stuff that we really haven't seen much from Ryan Pace striking in May and June and stuff like that. I mean, but again, I mean, we look at it last year and Kevin Pierre Lewis was a guy that signed in, in, in May last year. You know, it's, it's one of those things that sometimes you don't know who's going to be able to contribute and who's not until you get in the season. And then you're glad that you signed him. And I think that both Gibson, because I think Gibson's absolutely going to start at safety and even Ginn Jr. I think that those are going to be two guys that are going to play, decently prominent roles for the Bears in 2020, and I think the Bears are better off for it. Yeah, to me, you know, I, I was a little disappointed that Ryan Pace didn't address the strong safety position, you know, through the draft or early in free agency, especially with a guy like Tony Jefferson out there. Um, and then when the draft was done, they didn't even really bring in a safety in their undrafted rookie class to kind of fit that role. I'm not saying he would have been a starter by any means, but at least it has some depth. Then Gibson became available and Pace kind of pounced on him. For me, I look at these moves and these are the type of moves where I would have expected them more last year where they, they, they fit some you know, needs through veteran players in May after the draft. Obviously, the circumstances are a lot different this year with free agency. A lot of the medicals aren't available. Teams can't get players in to you know get their medicals done. Hence why it's pretty much Cam Newton's still available. You don't know the health of him. Same with Tony Jefferson. You didn't know the health on his medicals either. So for me, like I said, it goes back to these are moves that I expect from a team that thinks, okay, we're, we can compete for a Super Bowl. We can compete to get into the playoffs. Let's kind of fit, you know, or fill some patches here on our defense and offense. Bring in a, a veteran like Tayshawn Gibson, a veteran like Ted Ginn which you mentioned are very cheap. The cap hits are not that bad at all. And Ryan Pace has done a actually pretty good, damn good job working with the cap and kind of maneuvering it throughout this offseason to open up some money to sign players like this. I look at the Ginn one, and I agree with you. He's not going to be a guy that's going to go out there and catch 30, 40 passes in, in a season and, and you know hit 1,000 yards or even hit you know, 600, 700 yards. But he's a guy that when he's on the field – Defenses are still going to account for him. Defenses are going to say, okay, they got Ginn in. He's in the slot. He's a player that can, he's still a burner. He's really fast. We got to, you know, maybe get some safety help over the top. And I think that should open up some opportunities for Anthony Miller. Uh, Allen Robinson is going to obviously get his attention as the number one wide receiver, but it should open up some opportunities for a guy like Anthony Miller if they go with, you know, four wide receivers. Whoever wins that fourth wide receiver job in Riley Ridley or Javon Wims, someone like that, it should open up more opportunities for in this offense because Ginn is still going to attract that attention due to what he's done in his career and his speed. And then the funny thing is, when we talked to him on that conference call with the media, you know, someone asked him, you know, how fast are you? Or how fast have you run the forty-yard dash? He said he's ran he ran it like four point two. Um, 4.21, 4.22, something crazy like that. I don't have the number off the top of my head. And he's, you know, he pretty much said, yeah, I'm still fast. You know, people want to say I'm not fast, but just know I could still run. I could still, you know, be a fast player. And then later on when he was talking with the Bears, he actually said he beat uh, Usain Bolt in a race in high school, which is crazy to me. I, I mean, I believe him, but that's just kind of Usain Bolt's the guy we obviously – you know, associate with speed in the world. So, yeah, I, I, I think Ginn is a good signing. I really like that one. I like Gibson. And, you know, to kind of talk on touch on Gibson here before we take a little bit of a break, he also said he was asked about the safety position, the strong safety, you know, where he fits in that role because Eddie Jackson's obviously going to be your center field, your, your free safety back there. Gibson pretty much said, and they're interchangeable. Over the years, the safety position has become interchangeable. You need guys that can kind of play both safety spots. While he does fit the role of playing up closer to the box, like you said, you know, if he has to kind of play that center field role, it's not ideal, but it's not something that's going to be, you know, a backbreaker for your defense. 
There is a similarity when I'm watching him on tape, though. I, I'm a little worried about the tackling. I don't think he's the best tackler. That's something that we worried about with Haha Clinton Dix last season. But he does have more, in my eyes, of playmaker skills. He can make breaks on the ball, takes better angles than Haha Clinton Dix. There's a little that worries me about the tackling, but I feel more comfortable now with Gibson on the roster compared to going into next season with Deion Bush being your number two safety. Uh, he kind of fits the need of being a number three safety, something he's played his entire career here in Chicago, and be a special teamer. So yeah, there's going to be a camp battle. It's it's going to be Gibson that wins it, barring any injury. I, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. I think the Bears really got better on defense on paper, um, making those moves this off season with Quinn and now Gibson, um, and bringing you know drafting Jalen Johnson and, and bringing in our defensive back. So I'm a fan of it. I like those two moves. And I think they're going to pay off well. And, and I'm very interested to see what Ryan Pace does um, moving forward with these types of deals in the future. Because we've seen guys, like you said, we're used to guys getting longer-term deals. Maybe some were here for a year. You know, get those one-year prove-it deals and get longer deals. So I'm interested to see how Ryan Pace kind of plays it in the future. Aaron, let's hit our second break here and um, hear a word from our sponsor. We'll get back. We'll talk about another free agent that's still out there that was making headlines over the past weekend and the Chicago Bears were showing some interest. We'll talk about that after this break. We'll be right back. Welcome back in here to the Bear Report podcast. We just got done talking about the schedule. I got Aaron's thoughts on the Bears schedule. We also talked about a couple free agent signings the Bears have made over the past couple weeks in Ted Ginn Jr., Tashawn Gibson, and John Jenkins. Aaron, there's still a free agent out there that's, you know, a, a, I'd say a top free agent. He made it was made available Friday night when the Saints announced that they're releasing Larry Warford. And right away, you know, you saw Bears fans take that report. Okay, Ryan Pace got on the phone. Ryan Pace has got to make the call to this guy. He fits a need at right guard, despite signing Jermaine Effendi a couple months ago. Now, there was a report from Brad Biggs of Chicago Tribune that the Bears were showing interest in the veteran free agent guard. And then a couple days later, Mark Flor- Mike Florio kind of disputed that and said they're no longer – interested in them where do you think the bears stand right now it's almost been a week when this podcast comes out thursday it'll be six days since he's been available on the free market where's kind of your thoughts on um what the bears are thinking with this free agent signing to be possibly well you know i think it's one of those things where like like you said biggs came out and said that they've had talks and they've shown interest and then you know pro football talk comes out and says that they're no longer interested and then biggs basically said today that they've had contact, but, you know, in terms of actually, you know, serious interest, uh, he doesn't know, you know, where that's at. Basically, it's not shutting the door, but things are going to have to change. I think ultimately what this comes down to, and it should be pretty obvious to everybody, is price tag at this point. I mean, the the rumored money that he's looking for is right around $7 million a year. Um, at this point in time, especially with everything going on, you know, in, in terms of, you know, we're not really sure how the NFL is going to proceed with the season. Um, I absolutely think there's going to be a season. I think for the most part, there's going to be fans in the stands. But at the same time, I think that there's going to be some owners and some teams that are going to kind of take a approach where they're going to say, OK, you know, maybe we're not going to spend as much or we're going to be a little safer, um, you know, and not spend not spend every single bit of the cap just in case. You just never know. You and it's not really so much from a cap space perspective as more of a cash flow perspective for these teams. So I think really what this comes down to is like you pointed out, he's been on the market for almost a week. If he's asked at seven million dollars, honestly, I don't think seven million dollars is much for a guy like Warford. I mean, he's been in the Pro Bowl the last three years. Pro Bowl isn't the end all be all. He's a damn good player. I mean, the Bears were interested in him a few years back when he, he left Detroit and signed, um, you know, in, in free agency with the Saints. Um, and now he's on the market again. He's 28. He'll be 29 before the end of the year or, you know, through the year, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. Um, I, I think there's a few things to kind of keep in mind here. One, in terms of being a scheme fit, to traditionally speaking, He's not the greatest scheme fit because he's a big dude and he's not overly athletic, you know, especially when you're talking a zone blocking scheme, especially if they run more outside zone. He's not exactly the most ideal fit when you really look at him and you say, OK, this dude's really damn good. He's still one of the better interior offensive linemen in the league. You make an exception for guys like that because maybe the scheme fit isn't the best due to athletic profile, but at the same time, he's still somebody that I would say is unquestionably better than a Jermaine Fetty at this point. So. 
But again, I think it really comes down to price and committing guaranteed money and future money with somebody like Warford, um, where I think the longer he sits on the market, the better off it could be for a team like the Bears who maybe are waiting for his price tag to go down a little bit. And I think that's kind of where it's like, okay, they made the call. And his agent said, yeah, we're looking for $7 million a year. Obviously, we don't know what the guarantee is. We don't know about anything else. But at the same time, it's still $7 million a year. The Bears, when Trey Burton's money clears, will be about $11 million of cap space. But you got to look at it and say, okay, you know, when you add in, you know, when the Rule 51 goes away and you're counting for 53 guys and then another $2 million for, you know, practice squad and you still need probably 3 or $4 million during the season to kind of mess with with the different things that go on. You start looking at it and you say, okay, they would obviously at $7 million, you know, traditionally, if that was the cap hit, they would probably have to do some maneuvering around. Now, obviously, if they sign him to, let's just say, a two or three year deal, um, you know, they could give him $7 million annually and then kind of spread the cap hits out a little bit. But again, with the way things are with COVID, um, you know, maybe teams aren't really looking to commit a ton of future dollars. Uh, at this point in the game, which is understandable. There's also a reason he's still not signed at this point. So I think that the longer this goes on, I think that the lower the price tag is going to get, he may have to settle for one of those pillow deals where it's, you know, three, four, five million dollars um, with some incentives built in on a one year deal. And then he can hit the market at 29 next year again. Uh, you know, we'll just have to see. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that the Bears are going to sign him, but I don't think the door's closed on it at this point. And I think, like I said, the longer that this hangs around, I think the likelier it is that the Bears will at least have a shot or he'll be somewhere in the price range. Uh, we'll just have to see. I do think he's probably going to end up having to settle for a one-year deal at this point. Um, if Because the other rumor team was the Houston Texans were interested in him. If they were to sign him, then they would probably release Jeff Allen and Jeff Allen's another guy that can make a lot of sense for the Bears, too. He's got scheme familiarity. I mean, he was in Kansas City. Um, I don't think he's he's not nearly as good as, as Warford, but if you're really looking for better competition or even you know a better starting caliber player versus a Fetty, if you want to make him kind of the swing offensive lineman where he could play offensive guard or tackle um, in a reserve role, then I think Jeff Allen can make some sense as well. But I, I guess long story short, I wouldn't close the door quite yet. I think a lot of this comes down to money. And we're just going to have to see how it all plays out. I mean, no team has really jumped on him yet. Um, I mean, he's a very talented player, and I think that he automatically upgrades the Bears' offensive line and I think makes this a pretty damn good offseason for Ryan Pace, even if it would be a one-year deal. But we're just going to have to see how it all plays out. And, you know, this late in, this late in the offseason, I mean, not a lot of teams are looking to go out and spend money, especially with the climate of everything and how everything's going. Yeah, you're right. And I do think the longer that – this does draw out. It says that he's not going to get the money he's seeking with the report being $7 million a year. That price tag could go down a little more the, the longer he is until he's signed. And, yeah, the only two teams we've heard of so far really interested in him were the Houston Texans and Chicago Bears. I just think, you know, to the point of he's not a good scheme fit for what Matt Nagy wants to do um, with his run offense. He's more of a power uh, zone scheme fit. I think you, you kind of got to look past that when you do have a talent, a guy has been the pro bowl um, three times with the saints and it, and he wasn't cut because of performance. He was essentially cut because they couldn't afford him. They had big salary hits coming up with signings, Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. They also drafted Cesar Reeves, who's going to be an interior offensive lineman, a young one out of Michigan, who they think could be a franchise guy on that line. So it really wasn't about performance. It was more about the money that the Saints had to save some money with their cap hits. I just think it's a guy that, you know, even if he's not a scheme fit, you kind of look past that. You bring in, if they don't sign him, I, I it kind of tells you that they're very high on Effetti to be that starting right guard come week one. We saw what Rashad Coward could do last season. We really didn't get to see anything of Alex Bars. I do feel more comfortable with Effetti over Alex Bars and Rashad Coward. I'd feel a lot more comfortable if they bring in Warford instead. However, we don't know. But I, I agree with your point that it, the longer this drags on, the better actually might be for the Bears. Maybe they're just kind of waiting. Hey, you know, let this price tag go down or maybe see if the – the Texans will offer him something big and, and the, you know, they let him go sign there and it's not the end of the world for the bears. So yeah, well, it'll be something we have to keep an eye on, you know, going through this off throughout this off season. Well, it's a very different off season to your point. It, it, it's just so many factors going on right now with this whole COVID situation and teams not being in their facilities, not being able to get guys in their facilities. 
and you know talk to him face to face. There's a lot of different variables going on. Um, Aaron, I want to talk a little more on that as we close the show. So let's hit our final break of the show, and then we'll talk a little more about the future off-season schedule here as we get ready to hit the June month. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back in here to the Bear Report Podcast. We're just getting set to wrap things up here on this new episode. Aaron, I, I brought up earlier the, the NFL extended the um, closure of the facilities for teams. The deadline, you know, was supposed to be May 15th, and now facilities, their virtual offseason program will go on, you know, until May 31st. And I expect it to be extended after that as well. It doesn't really seem like there's an end in sight. And I don't see a scenario where the NFL would be like, okay, teams, if your state's open, go ahead and go to your facility. I think it makes more sense to have the whole league kind of go at once and open up their facilities at once. However, I mean, I could be wrong. We'll see. So let's kind of break this down, though, because right now, like you said earlier, we don't know really what's going on. They're virtual meetings. They're held over Zoom. The Bears send out like very small clips of one to two minutes of Matt Nagy talking, addressing his team. It's not like what we've seen in the past where essentially this weekend I'd be up at Hallis Hall covering the, the, the first OTA session after rookie minicamp. And we kind of get, you know, it's it's not always the OTAs all, you know, aren't always everything, but they give us a little football and a little kind of glimpse into the roster with the players that are there. Not having that, it, it just sucks. So, in terms of the competitions the Bears have on their roster, the big one, obviously, quarterback Mitchell Trubisky, Nick Foles. Um, you got some other ones, you know, what's going to happen with all the depth at tight end, not necessarily the starters, because I think there are three guys in Cole Komet, Demetrius Harris, and Jimmy Graham are set, but maybe the tight ends who survived the roster cuts and can be those fourth, fifth guys. You're going to have a little bit of a wide receiver battle at wide receiver number four with Javon Wims, Riley Ridley, Trevor Davis is another guy. They'll be in it um, with the addition of Ted Ginn Jr. And the drafting of Darnell Mooney, things kind of get a little complicated there. Defensive back number two, and then strong safety. In your eyes, how much does this impact those competitions? Let's say through May and June, because I think we're going to get a training camp of some sort. Uh, it might not be what we're used to in the past. So there, I think there'll at least be a training camp, but especially OTAs, when it's some of these guys' first chance to impress their coaches on the field with their new team, how's that going to kind of impact those competitions in your eyes? Well, I think it's, I mean, it's obviously going to have an impact. I mean, it's, I think as fans, we tend to put a lot of value into training camp. Um, But I mean, there's a lot of groundwork laid before they even get to training camp. And I think that's what some people forget between the mini camps, the rookie mini camp, the OTAs and the final mini camp before, you know, they break until training camp. I mean, there's, there's a lot of hands-on learning, hands-on um, you know, experience that these coaches are getting with some of these new players. I mean, obviously, the, I, I would say that the, out of everybody, the rookies are probably at the highest uh, disadvantage. But I think when you look at some of these competitions, I mean, obviously, the first one that comes to mind, and this is something that's going to be very interesting to follow, is the quarterback situation. I mean, there's just no way around it. And I think now we're kind of seeing even more why the Bears opted to go out and get a guy like Nick Foles, who has familiarity with the offense and the scheme. It's a lot easier to learn terminology than it is to, you know, of an offense that you already know versus coming in and having to learn a completely new offense and the terminology and how to do everything mainly virtually until they finally get to a point when they can meet up. I think the other one that definitely is going to be interesting to follow is obviously going to be the cornerback two position, whether that's going to be Artie Burns or whether that's going to be uh, Kevin Tolliver or obviously Jalen Johnson, who's a rookie, their second round rookie. I think Jalen Johnson wound up winning the job, and I actually think Artie Burns is either going to be depth at best or he's not going to be on the roster. But, I mean, when you look at some of these veterans that signed these kind of one-year, you know, prove-it type deals, I think those are the kind of guys that are also at risk as well because they're coming into a brand-new team, a brand-new system, and not only are they having to learn everything virtually, but they're not getting any hands-on experience to not physically being able to go through and run through everything. So, it's going to be interesting, and I think that this year, especially for all NFL teams, obviously, especially the Bears, where 
the coaching staff and the evaluation process as a whole is going to have to have some conviction around it. I mean, that's it's a cliche word that, that Ryan Pace uses a lot, but I mean, really, it's going to come down to that because you're going to have to know what you have in your roster and you're going to have to make the right moves and you're going to have to make the right decisions because even if they do have a training camp and, you know, a shortened preseason or any preseason at all, uh, you're not going to get the full effect of what you normally would. I mean, like I said, the groundwork is laid during OTAs and minicamp, and then they get in the training camp, and you can kind of start to see, you know, the familiarity. You can you can start to see where coaches are kind of leaning, and then obviously get in the games of preseason. We don't really know if preseason is going to happen at this point. I mean, it probably will. I would assume that there's probably going to be at least one or two games. But, I mean, going into the offseason, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy both talked about how starters are going to be on the field Uh you know, and especially you talk about the rookies, you talk about the quarterback position. I mean, there's there's definitely in terms of question marks, not bad question marks, but question marks. I mean, there's more question marks on this team this year just because of how things are designed and the lack of money that they had and the lack of resources that they had versus in years past. I mean, the same thing with right guard. Is Rashad Coward, Alex Bars, or is it going to be Jermaine Effetti? I would assume that Effetti probably has the leg up in the, in the competition. But again, he's coming into an offense where he's having to learn uh, something new, and he's having to learn new terminology. Obviously, you know some of the offensive linemen that are have already been here for the Bears are going to have to learn a little bit of new stuff too. But it's going to be more of a schematic fit to what Matt Nagy has wanted to do versus what Harry Heastan and Mark Helfrich did offensively the last two years. So there's definitely there's definitely some disadvantages. I mean, luckily the Bears are one of 31 other teams that are having to deal with it. Um, but in terms of having question marks and having these battles on the roster the way that they, they are to get down to that 53-man, um, you know, in, in be- the beginning of September, uh, there's there's a lot of work to be done and not a lot of groundwork to have been laid before training camp starts. So it's going to be very interesting. And again, I think a lot of this is going to be going off of instinct and the team's evaluations of who they think fits where. And, you know, ultimately, I think some of these front runners may end up winning the job simply because there's not going to be enough time to truly evaluate them and so on and so forth. So who knows? We could be making too big of a deal about this and we could get in the training camp and none of this is an issue. But I do think that there's going to be an impact, even if it's small. There's it's it's not the same as how it has been in years past because of how COVID-19 has affected the entire world at this point. Yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, for an outlet like ours who has a credential to training camp, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do and how much they actually scale it back. Now, remember, they weren't going to Bourbon A anyway this year. This was going to be the first year at Hallis Hall was going to be the training camp. There was a report by Albert Breer, I think I think it was like late last night, that he said NFL teams in states that are on lockdown and, and really have no signs of easing up those lockdowns, which is essentially New York, um, Los Angeles, and parts of Illinois, as you know, Governor Pritzker has kind of broken it down in the regions here. They're kind of looking, and I'm not going to mention any team names because there was no team names mentioned in there. So they're kind of looking for places to hold, you know, training camps outside of the state. They kind of had me thinking. I'm thinking, okay, well, Iowa's starting to open up. Indiana's starting to open up. Missouri's probably a state that's going to open up. Tennessee, Kentucky will probably be opening up soon. Don't know about Wisconsin, Michigan right away. If the Bears had to move training camp and that was an option, I don't see it being one of those states that have come out like Florida and Arizona being like, okay, well, if other teams can't play in their state, they can come play in our state. I think it'd be more local options, somewhere like Indiana. As we were talking before the podcast, you know, Notre Dame, Indiana University, Purdue, those are all big schools in that state, big universities that I'm sure would open up, you know, their facilities if they had to. Um, to let the Bears practice. I mean, it could even be a thing where they go and they rent out maybe an entire hotel and they practice on like a high school field or something for training camp. I think we're going to get training camp. I'm I'm with you on this. I think our coverage is going to have to be dialed back a little bit just because we might not even get the the full credential, the, and I'm not saying it's just for the bear I'm thinking, you know, maybe the entire media, the credentialing system might be a little different or how they, how many, you know, reporters they have there might be limited. There was one thing where I saw where teams were, you know, one of the plans was, you know, half the employees of the team in the building. Like that's kind of like the first phase of reopening a building, not including players and, and coaches. I can't imagine if they opened up in June um, that they would even have the media there more than one day a week. I think when training camp comes along, it might, it might be more reasonable to do that. I still think it'll be dialed back a little bit, which, you know, it, it sucks, but 
if, if it keeps people safe, it keeps people safe. And in terms of those competitions, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's going to, it's going to make an impact and, you know, OTAs are important, but those jobs aren't won right there in OTAs, but it's a chance for players, you know, to make an impression, get some first team reps, get some second team reps, and the competition begins there. It's not won there. It, it certainly begins there. So we'll have to keep an eye on it. Like I said earlier, we don't really know what they've been doing. We don't get any insight into these virtual meetings. Really, no teams are, are given any insight into these virtual meetings. So it's just kind of all speculation for now. And we're just going to kind of have to wait and see uh, as it goes on. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's an unknown at this point. And, I mean, until we really get in the training camp and we start figuring things out, I mean, we're really not going to know much. But it'll be an interesting few months. And, you know, as football fans, you know, hopefully things will level out and we'll get a training camp. Probably not a normal training camp, probably not a normal preseason, but at least we'll get something to go off of and – and some of these battles will be able to actually have resolutions and the you know teams will be able to have the best possible players on the field that they can and have the best possible players starting that they can. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I just hope it, it, it just gets resolved sooner than later. Aaron, that'll wrap things up this week. Where can everyone follow you on Twitter at? Yeah, you can follow me at Aaron Lemming NFL and you can read my work on the bearreport.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Zach, Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson. And you can follow the Bear Report on Twitter at Just Bear Report. You can read my work on the Bear Report as well. Um, we'll be back sooner rather than later with a brand new episode. Ho- episode. Hopefully some more Bears news uh, happens over these next couple of days or weeks. Otherwise, we might be running a little uh, dry here with the content. But we'll be back, and uh, make sure to please rate, review, subscribe, and like the podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll talk to you later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.